listening to The Jim Laird Show on Body IO FM, where health and performance collide with your host, Jim Laird. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Jim Laird Show brought to you by Body IO FM. I'm your host, Jim Laird. About every week, I get an email or a question asking me about how do you become a strength coach? I want to open my own gym. Um, this happens quite frequently. So on today's show, I'm going to go over kind of the business side of things, how my career started, um, things that I've learned, mistakes that I've made, and you might be listening to this and you're like, I don't want to be a strength coach. Or I don't want to be, a, be a, a trainer or whatever you want to call it. But this really, you know, if you're listening, this really, um, the information I'm about to share pretty much carries over into to all business endeavors. It doesn't really matter what business you're in um, and kind of how the economy is going to be changing in the future. So I think I think it it'll benefit most people that listen to it. And if not, then so be it. But... I started my career um, essentially, officially at Liberty University. I lifted all through high school. I most of the people I learned from, and when I was training in high school, were bodybuilder types. Uh, a couple wrestlers, Chris Benoit, worked out of the gym I worked out at, so he he helped me a lot with with some of the stuff that that I was doing. And then of course, you know, Muscle Media 2000 was big back then, and. Dan Duchesne and Charles Poliquin and, and all these sort of people had kind of have an influence on me. So when I went to Liberty, I was kind of already a weight room uh, dork. And I didn't really know, coming from Canada, they didn't really have like a, a strength and conditioning program, so to speak. And you know, I was already into wrestling and football, and I decided to play football in, in the U.S. in college. And I went to Shasta College in Redding, California. And then I ended up going to Liberty. And when I got to Liberty... Um, I found out there's this thing called strength and conditioning and there was uh, Dave Williams was a strength coach there and um, really innovative guy, really passionate guy. So I started volunteering with them. And, you know, when I started, you know, like Liberty had two strength coaches for the whole, the whole athletic department. So, you know, I was able to, <clears throat> to work right off the bat. Um, they were just happy to have someone to help. So I kind of got thrown into the fire. And then after I was at Liberty, I decided I wanted to go to a bigger school and do like a GA or an internship. So I went to the University of Arizona and I got to work with Brad Arnett. And the same kind of thing applied there. They had only like three or four strength coaches for the whole athletic department. So I kind of got thrown into things quickly. And, and I learned a lot from Brad about movement quality and about rehab, like, you know, take, bringing people back from injuries and stuff. And that's stuff that I really hadn't been exposed to before. So that was a great learning experience. And I also met Jim Windler there. Um, and that's how I ended up going, uh, coming to Lexington. Um, and Jim's the one that kind of got me into powerlifting. But, you know, the advantages and disadvantages of, of college, being a college strength coach, is the disadvantages is tons and tons of hours in the weight room. I mean, you're talking 40, 50, 60 hour weeks. You're there from 6 in the morning till 6 at night. It's a little different now because every team has, like, their own strength staff. But it's also a lot more difficult to break in because there's so many more coaches um, so you're going to have to do a lot more grunt work. And uh, kids come to me, they have a degree in, you know, exercise science or kinesiology, and they think they're just going to start start training people. 
one of the reasons I've been so successful is has nothing to do with my experience at Liberty or at Arizona. It has everything to do with the fact that I bounced in clubs and then I worked at a five-star hotel and I worked in the service industry all through high school in a grocery store and I learned how to talk to people. That is the most important skill. If you're not good with people, you are not going to do well um, in the strength and conditioning field if you have a gym or if you're training people in person. Like that's, you can be really good with people and a, and a kind of a crappy coach and do really well. You could be a phenomenal coach and if you're not good with people, you're not gonna, you're not gonna do very well. So after I left um, Liberty or Arizona, I ended up coming out to, to Lexington and hang, hung, was hanging out and I was sleeping on, on Jim's floor in his apartment, studio apartment. He still hates me to, day, to this day for that. But he was nice enough to let me crash there and I worked at this, uh, at this studio. And it was great experience and, and I, I got to meet a, a kid there who I ended up training, who ended up going... Uh, to Wofford, he had just basically uh, come off a back injury, he'd fractured his back in a powerlifting meet at the school. He was like 14 or 15 years old, maybe like 16, I think, somewhere in 14, 15 or 16 in that area. And we worked with him and, and we were able to take him from like 130 pounds, he was actually in a back brace, to like 190 pounds. He ran like a 4-3 electric time to Wake Forest. Uh, he finished second in the 100 meter, uh, 100 meters in, in, the, in the state of Kentucky. He had the one of the best single high school seasons that I, that a kid's ever had at playing wide receiver, and he ended up getting a full ride to Wofford, and that led that success of him led me to coaching other kids, and and that's how that kind of started. And then I started, you know, people were watching me train. I, I I ended up getting fired from that studio because what you know I learned to realize later is when you're working for someone else, you're doing their will. Like you have to work with their parameters. It's just something I didn't do a very good job at. After that, I went to another commercial gym and I was an independent contractor there. And I ended up being asked to leave because I was doing dragon sleds and doing all that kind of stuff and throwing medicine balls and the stuff that's really popular now I was doing back in like 2001, 2002. And they were like, we really don't want that stuff in here. So I ended up going to a place called Lexington Athletic Club and that was phenomenal. And that's where my business really took off. And I still was training lots of athletes, um, but I started picking up like normal everyday people. And that's where I realized those were the people that were going to pay my bills. Because when you're training athletes, like, you know, you're competing with their schedule, their coaches, they, they never get an off season. It's, it's really tough. So from like 2002 to 2009, I was at Lexington Athletic Club. And then in 08, things kind of fell through and, um, you know, I worked at a, six years at a, at a local high school here as well, working with basketball, uh, one of the better basketball programs in the state of Kentucky. Um, in 2008, 2009, the bottom kind of fell out of things, and I lost a lot of my clients. I had like I was training one person at a time kind of deal, and um, instead of adjusting my lifestyle, I just went and started bouncing at a club again, and I burned myself out, got tired. Um decided to drive halfway across the country to work for a friend. And I decided I made a mistake, drove all the way back, you know, one of those deals. And that's where I started having a lot of my health issues with my colitis and stuff like that was in a couple car accidents, you know, that kind of deal came back and, uh, ended up leaving Lexington athletic club, went to another facility and then was basically, uh, hired as a consultant by a CrossFit. And after spending like a year there, I realized it just wasn't going to really work. And I realized that I needed to start something um, 
that was CrossFit like community, like the community of CrossFit, but with like revolved around a little bit smarter, smarter training. So I had about 30 or 40 clients that I'd had regularly. And that's when I decided to open the gym and start classes. And what we did is we basically um, did Groupons to build the classes because I already had the semi private uh, people and I needed to bring the class. And, and so with Groupon, and Groupon has kind of destroyed uh, things. And it's also, if you use Groupon well, at least back then, we were the first uh, gym in Lexington. I think that was in like, gosh, when when is that? Like 11 or 12, maybe. Uh, we basically, we'd had like four or 500 people show up and, or sign up and buy the thing. And, you know, a quarter of them never show up. And what we did is we basically, we advertised as a boot camp, but it really was like a strength training class. And we, people would come in on a Saturday for orientation. Sometimes you'd have up to 70 people. And I'd be up there and, like, say, hey, look, how many of you guys have basically bought every boot camp, you know, uh, boot camp deal on Groupon? And 90% of the people put their hand up. Basically, they would go from boot camp to boot camp to boot camp and just look to get the crap beat out of them thinking to get results. And obviously, like, you know, you'd be like, hey, you haven't gotten any results. That's why you're here, right? And they're like, yes. Well, the reason you haven't gotten any results is because your lifestyle. You know, you haven't changed your diet. You're not sleeping. You're not taking care of yourself. You know, you're just trying to, you know, out-exercise a bad lifestyle, and that doesn't work. So I would say straight up, like, if you aren't willing to at least change your eating and, and get yourself some sleep and take better care of yourself, then don't even bother coming back. And so we ended up converting like 90% of the people ended up coming back and they really liked it because it wasn't just senseless, like run over there, do 10 jumping jacks, run over here, do 10 burpees. It was actual structured strength training and people really liked it. Um, and that's, you know, the, how the gym started and, and we ended up moving locations. We outgrew the, the other location we were in and that's kind of where I'm at today. And along the way, I've trained professional athletes, you know, everything you could possibly imagine, you know, celebrities, the whole, the whole, the whole nine yards. So I've been doing this for a, for a very long time. Um, and let me kind of go through, um, if you are looking to become a strength coach, one, if you're getting college, make sure you take some business stuff because that's the most important part. Like the hardest part for me is not the training. That's easy. Um, the hardest part is the business, the behind the scenes stuff. So you're either going to want to hire, if you're going to open a gym, you want to hire somebody to do that for you, or you need to know a little bit about it yourself. So if you want to become a coach, the most important thing is the people skills. And I, I would suggest waiting tables, bouncing at a bar, uh, anything that involves you having to deal with people, five-star working as a bellman at a hotel that helps you with problem solving, helps you deal with difficult people and stressful situations. Those people skills are basically gold, especially for any job. Like any job you go into, you're going to have to have people skills unless you're like a computer programmer or something like that. So that's that's critical. <clears throat> now, there's there's a couple different ways to look at this. Now, the independent contractor is very very um, is a very good option. But here's the deal: if you just got out of college, you have to go intern somewhere, or you have to go work at a commercial gym and just start training people. You need to figure out what your training philosophy is. I mean, you can look at people like Eric Cressy, myself, Mike Robertson you know, Dean Somerset, you can watch what they're doing, but you need to figure out what your training philosophy is. Okay. And then you need to get really good at coaching beginners because most of the people that are coming to you are going to be beginners. Like you're not going to be getting elite level athletes. And even if you do, most of them suck at strength training. They're not very good at it. Okay. And they're just great athletes and you don't have to necessarily turn them into like a, like a, you know, world uh, powerlifting champion that 
actually will make them worse in many cases. But you need to get them stronger in a sensible way, and you need to get them to move better. And that's a whole different show. But you have to put in, you have to shovel some shit to grow some flowers, so to speak. You're not going to be able to just jump into making a whole ton of money. You know, the first couple of years I was in Lexington, I trained a lot of people for free just to get exposure so people could see me training people. And that worked really, really well. So, like, essentially, the first five or six years of my career, I pretty much worked for free. Um, so when you get out of college, if you have an exercise science degree or something along those lines, um, you're going to have to work for very little money. You're going to have to build your clientele, build your reputation, those sort of deal, that sort of deal. Okay. And then, you know, once you've worked at like a box gym for a while or for somebody else, then you can explore like the independent contractor kind of deal where you're paying like a flat fee. Like I think at LAC, I was paying 500 a month. I think it's like 550 now, which is incredible. That's your only overhead, everything else you pocket, uh, you know, after taxes and all that good stuff. Uh, it's a great deal to be a hired gun. Okay. Um, you know, if you want to work for a university, it's a lot better than it used to be. Um, you got strength coaches for basketball, strength coaches for each sports team usually has their own strength coach, depending on the school that you're at. But the disadvantages to that is you're a slave to the coach. Uh, the coach has a big influence on what you're doing. You're also a slave to the players. One of the reasons I didn't like working in college because half the kids didn't want to be there. You know, you got like three or four kids on the team that really don't care about working out. It's very, you can't fire them. You can't just kick them out of the weight room. Um, you know, so you got to deal with those kids and, and, and it's, 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 it's difficult in a team setting to do that. Also, if the coach has a different philosophy than you do, as far as training and those sort of deals, that's very difficult. You know, if, if you're training offensive linemen and you're dragging sleds and you're flipping tires and you're pushing prowlers and doing all the stuff offensive linemen need to do that are a tractor. And then your head coach decides like two weeks before the, the summer ball, they need to run, you know, before practice, before a two day start, they need to run like three miles as part of their test. And all of a sudden half of them like hurt their ankles and knees and stuff. Cause they're 300 pounds trying to run three miles and they're not prepared for that. Well, that's on you. <clears throat> and then if you're in a program that's not very successful, one of the first people to get fired is a strength coach. On the flip side of that, if you're with a program that's super successful, you've got some really good job security. The same thing goes for the NFL pays great. Like I know Joe Cannon, buddy Morris personally, the pay is great, but you can get fired at any time. I mean, there's no job security in that at all. Um, and then you're dealing with professional athletes, which is another, you know, totally other art and science altogether. Um, so you've got those options, and you can work for somebody else, but you're not going to get paid as much. The independent contractor is nice, but then you have to get your own clientele, okay? And that's going to take time. Uh, the best way to do that is get results. Because people are going to tell their friends and they're going to bring their friends in. Uh, the other thing that you want to be careful of is when you're first starting is not just to take anyone. Okay, When I sit down with somebody, I talk to them, I give their recommendations, I see if they're coachable. If they're not willing to at least meet me halfway or if they have unrealistic expectations. For example, there was a girl I started working with when I first moved to Lexington. She had had three ACL surgeries before she was 14 and she was a soccer player. And she came to me and said, my goal is just to play out my high school career. And I was like, perfect. Now, if she'd have told me, like, I want to play Division One major soccer, I'd have been like, well, I don't think so. Or, you know, so you got to make sure or I'll have a kid that comes to me that's like five foot six and his parents are five foot five and five foot three and tell me he wants to play major Division One college basketball. And I'll be like, well, you know, you should have picked your parents a little better. 
Uh, I don't try to be mean about it, but you got to make sure that people's goals are realistic when they meet you, you know, and they give you a goal that, you know, is like kind of insane for them. It's better to pass on that because what's going to happen is, is if they don't have the ability to even come close to where they're, they say they want to be there, you're basically going to get the blame for it. Right. So you only want to take people that are coachable and have realistic expectations. Like I can tell what a division one athlete walks in. Like when they walk in the door, the way they carry themselves, the way they walk, the way they look at you in the eye, there is a certain presence to a, a good athlete. They just move a certain way. And if they say, hey, I, my goal is this, I'm like, yeah, that, that's that's realistic. You know, we can we can shoot for that. I can't guarantee it, but but, you know, we can shoot for that. So you want to pick and choose your clients carefully. You don't just want to train anybody. And when you tell people when they you meet with them at first, you want to say, hey, we're going to interview you to make sure we're a good fit for each other. And right there, when you're not trying to hard sell, like if you're desperate, like a car salesman at the end of the month that has to sell a quota, people can smell that. They kind of know that. And if you're guaranteed, if you're desperate to sell somebody something, it's going to be a lot harder sell. So you want to be kind of picky and choosy about who you start with and who you work with. Uh, you know, it's hard to say that, especially in the beginning, because you're just so desperate to bring people in. That's why you don't want to get yourself in a situation where you have a lot of overhead so that you don't have to train people. You, you can you can train it, them if they're a good fit for you or not. So that's basically that. I would start off in a commercial gym or I'd do an internship, you know, use all sorts of people, Mike Boyle, uh, Eric Cressy, Mike Robertson, all these different folks all over the country. Somebody that's successful, you need to go spend some time there. You're gonna have to work for next to nothing. You might even have to do it for free, but it'll be well worth it for you. And a lot of times you look at Eric Cressy, what he's done with his staff, um, you know, developing their different things that they have with all their different coaches and his internet presence and what it's done for them. Um, if you do an internship at the right place, you can really set yourself up for success. So there's one thing that I wish I would have focused on that I'd suck at. I'm really good at in-person coaching. That's kind of my thing. I suck at internet stuff. I suck at writing. I suck at being consistent. Uh, luckily, Kiefer's nice enough to edit these for me and do all the behind-the-scenes stuff because I'm terrible at that because I'm too busy running a gym. If you're a new coach, especially now and you're young and you're kind of computer savvy, you want to start some sort of blog. And it's not going to take off. It's going to take time. You know, Cressy's talked about this. Mike Robertson's talked about this. Dean, Dean Somerset's talked about this. It takes time. And you have to be consistent with it. But you want to set up some sort of deal as you gain experience. It's just maybe telling stories about what's going on in your training, what's going on with the clients you're training. People like to get to know you. And if you're likable, people will start following you. And over time, you can develop products. I mean, obviously, if you just graduated, you don't need to be making a product. You actually learn need to learn how to train people before you start doing stuff like that. But that's an option and an avenue that I, that I didn't really go after. Um, one, because I write about the level of the third grader. But that way you can start creating some residual income so you're not trading hours for dollars. Um, it takes years to do that, but that's something you can invest some time in. So um, that's a really good way to go about it. Now, if you have some experience and you have a clientele and a following and you want to open your own facility, one, if you're going to partner with people, make sure you have your exit strategy written out ahead of time, like what's going to happen, how the business is going to be divided up, what the different owners' roles are, what happens if they don't do their job or if there's no, they're not satisfied. Like, how are you going to do the buyout stuff? You don't want to go into something without having that stuff in writing because even if it's your best friend in the world, 
things change when there's money involved and when you're in business. Okay. So you need to have all that stuff in writing. If you want to open a gym, you need to have all of your systems written down, how you do things, how you do assessments, how you train people, like how you train different types of people, the exercises you use. Okay. That's something I'm not very good at. I'm more of an instinctive coach. Um, you know, I program for people, but I, I have a certain way I do things based on way things look. And that's very hard to coach somebody or teach somebody else. So you need to have an, or unless you want to be, um, you know, somebody working at your gym where you're doing the majority of the work, if you want to own it, if you're going to own a gym, you want to have other people working for you. And if you, if you're going to do that, you need to have continuing education. You need to be the leader. Uh, it's one of the mistakes I made is I didn't provide enough structure when I first opened my gym and you're going to end up with coaches that are going to kind of go, uh, you know, if you have really passionate coaches, they're going to kind of go off in their own direction. It might not necessarily be the direction that you want to go as the business owner. So you want to get the right people on the bus, so to speak, as far as good to great, uh, the book, good to great talks about, and you have to provide that structure for them to make sure that everything's being done in the parameters. You have to understand that whatever you decide to budget, it's going to cost a lot more like, you know, replacing vacuums, toilet paper, all this stuff adds up. Okay. So you're going to have a lot of overhead. So you're going to be married to your business as well. Okay. So if you're going to own a gym, you are essentially married to it. Like you're going to be, you know, if something breaks, you're going to have to be there to fix it or find somebody to fix it. Um, if someone calls in sick, you're going to have to be there as well. Uh, you know, unless you've got a whole bunch of staff working for you, it's going to take you time. Don't go, go out and buy a thousand, you know, million dollars worth of fancy equipment. Start with the bare minimum, uh, some sleds, some prowlers, some basic stuff. And wait till you're bulging at the seams before you expand. The worst thing you can do is go out and get a business loan, buy a whole bunch of equipment, have this huge facility, and then you don't have anybody to train. So you want to train and be training people until you're busting at the seams. And then you move to a little bit bigger facility and you want to wait till you're busting at the seams again. And if you need to move to a bigger facility, that's fine. You want to offer different modalities, okay? You want to have, like, we have a chiropractor here right now. We have a lady that does neurofeedback. We have the float tank. We have the infrared sauna. The more things, you know, you can provide, like a lifestyle coach, the more things you can provide to help provide you revenue um, is going to help you as well. You want to pay yourself first. And this doesn't only apply to gym owners. This applies to everyone who's a business owner. You want to take a certain percentage aside Every time you get paid and put that aside to pay yourself first, because a lot of times with business owners, I made this mistake in the beginning, you pay yourself last and then you end up getting nothing and you're working all these hours essentially for nothing. So you want to pay yourself first and keep your spending under control. Okay. Um, there is a massive oversaturation of gyms right now. Um, there is, uh, is going to be in the future, um, uh, a drastic need for, for training people that are sick and basically unhealthy because that's where the majority of the population is. And there's so many people competing for athletes. It's very difficult to make your money training athletes because one, they're, they're not around all the time Two, um, there's just not many of them out there, you know? And so you're competing for, you know, you've got all the coaches in town competing for these athletes when there's all these normal everyday people that just want to look good and feel good, that's going to be the big market for the majority of people uh, in the future. So if you can work with beginners, if you can work with people that are in a bad place, that's where you bring in the chiropractor, your nutritionist, all these different people to help you get them in a better place because most people are not in a good place. Uh, that's basically where they're at. So 
that's basically what you want to do if you want to start your own gym. And then you can start doing, you know, stuff online. You can start putting stuff out there, newsletters, all that sort of thing to build residual income um, and put out different things. So you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket. And then, you know, the big thing now is, you know, there's many different ways to skin a cat, but there's only so many people that can pay for one-on-one training. So semi-private seems to be the most popular right now, four to six people in a group. And then like a class setting, the class settings are kind of dying off a little bit. Like the CrossFit kind of stuff is kind of started to kind of fall off a little bit because of it's, it's very hard to individualize those things. Uh, but people are starting to go more towards personal training and s- small group semi-private training. So the more things you can do to have multiple coaches working for you within a certain restraint, um, when a certain structure is going to help you, uh, immensely. So that's basically where that is, but you have to understand when you open a facility, you basically have all this overhead. You've got staff taxes. You've got a, like, you might need a conditional use permit to get into your building. There's just so many things that you need to worry about. Um, you know, like on my days off, I'm usually at the gym doing some sort of admin work. So I really don't get uh, that many days off and then, you know, hire a good admin person, hire someone to do your, your taxes for you, hire someone to do these things. Once you get the revenue coming in where you can afford to do that, that way you don't get burned out. Cause it's very, very easy to get burned out. That's one of the things that I've struggled with over the years is wanting to help so many people that I don't help myself first. So you want to schedule time for yourself when you're off. And that's why it's really hard. It's really important to make good financial decisions because you don't want to put yourself over, you know, over over a cliff where you have to work to pay the bills. You want to be financially independent, and you 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 need to have assets. You know, things like the sauna, things like the float tank. It could be dividend stocks, things that are going to make money. It could be a book or a product. Um, but realize when you first start, you're not going to be able to do all that stuff, at least effectively. You won't have the reputation to do that. It takes time. But over time, you want to acquire more assets that pay you so that you aren't a slave to your business, you're a slave to your job. Um, that's, that's very, very important. So, you know, the moral of the story is you've got these different options. You can work for an institution. There's good security there if you're in a good organization. Uh, you might have to move around a little bit, uh, but in the beginning, you're just going to have to you're just gonna have to bite the bullet, just like in any business, like in real estate. You got to build up your clientele. You got to get your name out there, and and the, and the better you treat people, if you treat people fairly, if you deal with them in a fair manner, in a fair way, you know, word will get around in time. But it's just going to take time. So you can work for somebody else. You can work for yourself once you've established your name. I honestly think that's the best way to go is to be like an independent contractor or a hired gun somewhere and then develop an internet presence so you can sell products or, or sell other people's products. You don't have the overhead and the pressure of, of running your own, your own business. Uh, if you do decide to run your own gym, make sure you have a plan. Make sure you have it all in writing. Don't just kind of wing it because it's going to bite you on the ass if you do. Make sure if you have business partners, you have everything in writing, exit strategies, what's going to happen if the business goes under, uh, that sort of thing. Keep your overhead as low as you possibly can. Uh, Keep things simple. Treat people fairly. And you would be surprised. um, If you treat people well and you do a good job and you get results, you're going to be turning people away. 
You know, you can do all the Facebook marketing you want. You can do all that stuff. But the way you are successful year after year after year is to treat people well and get results. That's basically the bottom line. And that's where training philosophy comes in. That's where learning how to deal with people come in. Because what are you going to do? You know, people, you have to talk to people. You have to get them to tell you, oh, hey, I, you know, I, I had a couple too many, you know, drinks this last weekend. I didn't sleep all weekend. And then that's where you're like, okay, so we're going to kind of do half your workout today and we're just going to do a little conditioning to make you feel better and then you're going to leave. Or, you know, you know, I'm in a good place. We can push you a little harder today. And that's, that's where talking to people and communicating with them and being flexible is the, um, is the key. I mean, honestly, I think counseling or like psychology classes would work really well because honestly, that's majority of what I do is like, you know, talking to people, listening to what they have to say, providing some support, providing maybe an opinion from time to time, but most of the time it's just listening and then teaching people about lifestyle, teaching people about nutrition, teaching people about self-care. That's really what's going to make things work in the long run. Cause that you you pretty much have to be like a generalist. Like Kiefer always makes fun of me because of like the 10,000 foot view. You really need to understand like basic, you know, nutrition, you know, basic health, like, you know, because people are getting sicker and sicker all the time. We had a lady come in here like on 40 different medications the other day. It's just insane. So you have to understand some of these basic things and be able to, the cool thing about today is there's so much good information out there. You can give books like the great cholesterol myth out or books on stress or articles on stress. You can give people carb night. You could steer them in the right way, right direction. And then if they need, you know, right now I don't have a lifestyle nutrition coach at the gym. I'm kind of working on that, but I've, I've steered a couple of people to Alex Navarro lately um, in the past. Also uh, to other coaches that Kiefer has that I've steered people to, to get that individualized attention that people that need beyond just the basics. So you want to also develop relationships with physical therapists uh, doctors, you know, orthopedics, talking with them because they'll refer you a lot of clients and you need to refer them clients. You know, if you have somebody that has a traumatic injury, you, know, you want to send them to an orthopedic, you know, that isn't trigger happy. I've got a great orthopedic here in Lexington that I have a wonderful uh, relationship with. I've got four or five physical therapists and chiropractors I have great relationships with. Have a chiropractor in-house, which is phenomenal because we can, you know, send people, you know, right away, right to them. I can even say as part of like an orientation, I have someone who's got some pain issues. Hey, I'm not comfortable with you training yet, but you can go see my chiropractor and then we can come up with a plan together. So that way you build your professional, um, your, your, your professional platform, you know, like if you've never worked with a bodybuilder getting ready for a bodybuilding show, you want to like refer them to somebody else. The worst thing you can do is bite off more than you can chew uh, and take on somebody that you have no idea what you're doing. You at least want to call somebody like their PT or a friend that's dealt with something like that to get the information that you need. But if there's somebody in your area that can do a better job than you, you can, you need to refer them to them and they'll refer people to you when they're, they, they find people that aren't a good fit for them. Um, you know, it, it, it just increases your credibility the worst thing, the last thing you want to do is like if I get somebody that comes to me for Olympic lifting, for example. Now, if they have some issues with their core stability or the way they move, I can help them with that. But if they're looking for specific Olympic lifting coaching, can I do it? Yes. But am I the best at it? No. So I've got a guy here in town that we interviewed him on the show, Justin Ford, who he is like a phenomenal Olympic lifting coach. So I send him to him. 
Um, I got another buddy of mine that I used to live with who's at LAC who does bodybuilding stuff. He's great. If I have somebody that wants a diet for a bodybuilding show, I have no idea how to do that. I don't know how to do all the stuff that they do and the posing and all that stuff. I send them over there, you know, so that's basically how you want to do things. Um, and I think in the future, um, you're going to have to be super good with people and create an unbelievable community because you've got like Planet Fitness and you fit and all these $10 places. There's a lot of people that shop on price. And if people contact me and ask like, well, how much does it cost? If that's their first question, like I don't list my prices on the website. If that's their first question, then I'm really right there. I'm like, eh, that's not a really good person for me. Because if price is their only, um, the only thing they're worried about, they're not really going to care about quality as much. They're not going to, you know, they're going to be expecting uh, a much different experience. I want people that, that are going to come to me and ask me what, what my training philosophy is and what I can do for them first before they start asking about price. You know, uh, you want to disqualify those people that are not able to train with you like right off the bat. So people ask for price. I give them a kind of a ballpark, but then right there in the back of my head, I'm like, yeah, this might not be a good fit for us. And then in my business, I'm evolving to become more of an owner operator. I'm still going to coach people. Absolutely. But finding people that fit into what I'm selling and to what we do here at the gym, you've got to have people that are on the same page as you and then learning how to become a better leader as far as instructing my staff, uh, finding people to help me so that I'm not, you know, working so much. Uh, as a business owner, you've got to have that balance and then uh, bringing more people in here to to help me help the people that I have, because that's that's really the, the, the key is, you know, you can specialize in getting someone ready for baseball or for a bodybuilding show, but you pay the bills with the normal everyday folks. And the way I sell it to people is, look, come in here twice a week, maybe three times a week and walk and you don't have to do anything else and you will be fitter than your friends that are spending two to three hours a day at the gym, you know, blast, you know, doing the elliptical and then doing some half-assed uh, curls on a, on a curl machine. You come in here twice, three times a week, you train, you'll be in better shape, you'll feel better. And then you'll have all this free time to do all these other things. You want to have people that um, basically you are providing that service for them so that you have a community that to build relationships and you have a steady income that's guaranteed. You don't want to have these huge influxes of people or you don't want to constantly be having to run Groupons to get new people in and then you keep a few of them and the rest leave. You want to have a high retention rate, uh, very low turnover, and you want to build those relationships and you want to build those friendships in your gym. Uh, one of the best things I see is like after our classes on Friday night, we'll have like eight or 10 people stick around and just chat for like 20 minutes afterwards. And it makes me smile because I know that we're creating the kind of community that people really like and love. And I know Rob Wolf and I talked about this in his show that he did here recently um, about creating community. And that's so powerful. And that's one of the reasons CrossFit has been so successful is because of the community they create. So I know that's a lot of information. And once again, this is another short uh, podcast, but in general, no matter what you're getting yourself into, you're going to have to work your ass off. I mean, talk to anybody that's been successful. Unless you win the lottery, it's not one of these things where it just happens overnight. You're going to have to put in hours and hours and hours and hours of work in order to be good at what you do. 
And then you have to kind of be flexible and play to your strengths and then find people and hire people to help you with your weaknesses. But if you, if, you know, if obviously for independent contractor, you know, structure and programs and all that kind of stuff and, and having all that in writing isn't as important. If you're working for someone else, you're either using their structure or you're making your own. But if you're going to open a gym, you one, you better have everything in writing with anyone you're in business with. Two, you have to have systems. And three, you've got to educate your staff. Okay. Those are all things you have to do or you're just not going to be successful. You're going to crash and burn uh, very quickly. So, um, yeah. So there's my little rant on if you want to get into the fitness industry. But honestly, in the future, there's going to be a huge need, and I'm going to get into this more, for the kind of holistic approach because people are so broken today. Um, kids don't play outside anymore. This next generation coming up has spent most of their time staring at a screen. They don't move well. The training is going up, up, up because of the internet. The complexity of the training. Kids are training more complex. They're they're doing more demanding things earlier. Uh, kids are sitting all day. They're not playing outside like they used to. You know, I get a 40, 50-year-old person that comes in here that's let themselves go. They pick things up pretty quickly because they did all that stuff as a kid. What is this generation going to be like that haven't played outside, that haven't done phys ed, that haven't, you know, uh, wrestled on the floor or climbed trees or any of that stuff? What are they going to be like to train when they don't move, when they've never done those movements before? And most of their, their diet has been processed food, you know, and they've been staring at a screen their whole life. It's going to be a totally different ball game, and you're going to have to prepare yourself for that. And as my good friend Jim Windler said, you need to be the best beginner coach possible because, honestly, the majority of the people you're going to deal with are just that, beginners. So once again, thank you for turning, tuning into the Jim Laird Show. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, and once again, please feel free to leave me feedback. You can go to my blog, jimlaird.org. That's Jim with a J. Um, there's an Amazon store there with books I recommend. Uh, that would be awesome if you could check that out and see if there's anything on. I think I have some survival gear on there as well. As you know, from my interview with Craig Cottle, I'm kind of into that kind of stuff. Uh, I also have some blog posts on there about how we run our group, group classes. A lot of the interviews that I've done on there. There's also uh, Jim, Jim Laird, G Y M L A I R D.com where our gym website is. There's also a contact us page on there. If you have any questions or feedback, uh, I know I will be doing a show. I'll be doing the neurofeedback show here soon. I'll be talking with Dr. Rocky about some of my blood work. I just sent that off all this week. So we're going to get the results of that back, uh, figuring out my methylation stuff. Uh, we're going to be doing a, a show. I had a, a lady uh, email asking about nicotine. So we're going to have a show on nicotine coming up here soon. So all sorts of stuff flying around. Uh, so I'm trying to keep it interesting and keep the topics diverse. But if you have any feedback or if you have any questions, please drop me an email uh, at either one of those uh, places. But I appreciate you listening. And once again, you know, please uh, support Kiefer and his endeavors so I can continue to do this show. And I really appreciate you listening. And I hope you have a great day or night or morning or whatever it is for you. Have a great day. You've been listening to The Jim Laird Show with your host, Jim Laird. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. Don't miss the next episode of The Jim Laird Show.
when he'll probably say something inappropriate but unexpectedly insightful.